TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this 11th of September, the year 2020. This is Scoop Podcast episode 313. Never forget 19 years ago today. For me, I was on my way to the campus of the University of Minnesota. I was living off campus. I had an athletics injuries class for that Tuesday morning. Yeah, it was a Tuesday morning, right? Never forget, right? I remember watching Broncos Giants on Monday Night Football the night before. It was a Tuesday morning. I had my athletic injuries class in the football building, the Gophers football building, and I'm walking to class. Well, on my drive to campus, I had heard on the radio, I was listening to Tom Bernard on KQ, that something was going on, but I'm driving. Um, What, at that point, 21 years old, still trying to comprehend just life in general, and I'm trying to make my way to class, find a parking spot in Dinkytown, which to this day is nearly impossible, heck, maybe more impossible now than 19 years ago. So I'm looking for a spot on the street, but I had KQ on in the car. I was listening, but not super intently, but was aware of something happening, something on the East Coast, I walk four or five blocks to the football building, walk up the steps. The athletics injuries class was in the team meeting room across from the players' lounge. So I walk up the steps. I see a ton of people in the players' lounge watching the TV that was set up in there. And I went in there, and lo and behold, I saw everything taking place, all the coverage. Never forget 9 11, 2000. And one. I'll empty out my figurative notebook, then I'll get to conversations with Michael Lombardi, Mike Tannenbaum, Derek Falvey, and Alex Stalock. Would the Vikings love to have a deal wrapped up, a long-term deal with running back Dalvin Cook by kickoff on Sunday? 100%. But are they willing to do so that it's not under their terms? No. I mean, right now, they want it largely in their terms. Are they willing to wiggle maybe a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Are they willing to wiggle to the point of Joe Mixon or Derrick Henry? At this point, no. It would have to take an enormous new offer for the Vikings to bend that far toward what Dalvin Cook is looking for. And it's not even necessarily what those guys got. In fact, I see a scenario where he's willing to sign for less than what those guys got, but he's not willing to sign, at least right now, for what Melvin Gordon got in Denver, two years, $16.5 million. That's roughly what the Vikings' initial offer was. But talks are ongoing, but at this point, It's fluid, right? It could change with one new offer, one new call. But at this point, on late Friday afternoon, the 11th of September, the Vikings just aren't showing a willingness to bend, to pay Dalvin at least somewhat in the vicinity of what he is looking for. Am I surprised? Yeah, I am surprised. I thought by this point the Vikings would. Going back to the combine, what Rick Spielman offered up publicly, what Gary Kubiak offered up publicly a few weeks ago, talking about how Dalvin could teach a class on the offense, how Dalvin is as good as it gets in terms of a leader, Mike Zimmer making him a captain, just all the things words-wise, action-wise that the Vikings have demonstrated when it comes to Dalvin have indicated to me that they want him here long-term. But financially, at least right now, They are not willing to bend. On Daniil Hunter, I can tell you at least one teammate as recently as late last week thought maybe Daniil misses one game, but maybe doesn't even miss any games, let alone now missing three games. The thought is he will be back by week four, that this is not an injury that will keep him out beyond these three games. But I can tell you at least one teammate is surprised it even got to this point that the neck injury is going to cause him to miss Three games. When you think about three out of 16, we're not talking small sample size baseball, right? Even in a 60-game sprint, right? The Twins can be conservative on Josh Donaldson. Hard to be conservative in a 16-game season, but it certainly looks like the Vikings went the conservative route. Daniil on his Snapchat. I'm too old for Snapchat. I have no idea how it works, but somebody sent it to me. I don't know if it's public or private. But all I know is Daniil on Snapchat the other day said, this is very much precautionary, that this is not long-term, don't push the panic button. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that was essentially the message that Daniil put on Snapchat. Unfortunate, too, with Shoreview native, somebody who's been on this podcast a few times, Billy Turner. He was playing right tackle for the Packers. He is doubtful for Sunday's game. So if Daniil was in, that would have been a matchup 
to absolutely exploit. Heck, to kneel against any right tackle is oftentimes a blowout. Terrence Newman is ready to go, but the Vikings haven't called. I texted with Terrence last week, texted with him again today. He's in football shape. He's ready for the phone to ring. Heck, if the Vikings called, he would happily accept an offer to help at the safety position, but the phone hasn't rung. Terrence Newman is not joining the Vikings anytime soon, but the Vikings are expected to elevate at least one of their practice squad safeties for Sunday, that they won't head into Sunday's game with just Harris and Smith at the safety position, that they will have at least one other safety on the active roster come Sunday morning. Before Josh Rosen landed in Tampa, the Vikings were not interested. I was watching Kansas City-Houston last night like a lot of people. Locally, the TV ratings were good. Maybe not quite what the TV ratings were for the Thursday night opener last year. Nationally, TV ratings down a little bit, but hey. It's all relative, right? Because the NFL still blows everything out of the water, like locally. I was looking at the TV ratings last night. Locally, nothing came even remotely close to touching the number that the Chiefs and Texans did. Like, nothing was even 50% of what that game did. So, yeah, were the numbers down, you know, compared to past years? Yes. But does anything touch the numbers that the NFL produces in this marketplace? Nothing does. Like, in fact, I think Vikings Packers on Sunday with three ratings points, three and a half ratings points now at home, not at U.S. Bank Stadium. I think Vikings Packers locally will shatter TV ratings records come Monday morning when those preliminary numbers come out. Then later in the week, the final numbers. I just think so many people are going to be watching Vikings Packers on Sunday. Drugi, of course, has his first fall baseball game, so I'll be DVRing the game watching after. Need to watch the young man play baseball, but I certainly will be DVRing, which they do factor into the TV ratings, although I don't have one of the boxes that, that you know, helps out the, the TV ratings people. But point is, there's a way to calculate people that aren't actually watching live, but end up DVRing the game. But anyways, I'm watching Kansas City Houston. Chris Collinsworth often last night highlighted Chiefs guard Kelechi Osemele. So back in July, Osemele's agent reached out to the Vikings and said, hey, are you guys interested in Osemele? The Vikings said no at that time. The Vikings had some medical red flags when it came to Osemele. He's got an injury history. I mean, just Google it. You can see that he's been hurt often, that there are medical red flags on Osemele and that the Vikings wanted to give, this was late July now, the Vikings had guys they wanted to give reps to in August. Reps in practice are limited. So they decided, no, we're not interested in Osemele. In fact, a lot of teams passed in Osemele. The Chiefs bring him in. He looks great, right? Like when he's at his best, he is one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Yeah, you need to go back like three or four years to see that body of work over the course of you know, at least a half a season or a full season. But Osemele has unbelievable video going back multiple years, but not in 18, not in 19. The Chiefs get him for just over a million dollars. So it looks like a brilliant move so far by the Chiefs, albeit one game in. But he was great last night for the Chiefs. But full contact with the Vikings, they just, like a lot of teams, had medical question marks. Plus, they had some other guys they wanted to give reps to. But right now, in hindsight, would you love to have Osemele starting for the Vikings offensive line at one of the guard spots on Sunday against Green Bay? 100%. It was interesting seeing P.J. Hall play for Houston. Remember, he failed his physical here, but he ends up in Houston, the defensive tackle, and he looks fine. So it's interesting how you know a guy can pass a physical with one team, you know, one doctor, but then fails a physical with another doctor. But again, you know, the Vikings doctors, you know, he flew in, he underwent the physical. They had reason. We don't know all the details as to why he failed his physical, but they had reason to fail the physical here. They had reason to say Osemele just isn't somebody that you can invest in long term. General Manager Rick Spielman spoke to Dunkers on Tuesday. Some things he told Dunkers that jumped out. All 16 practice squad members will travel to Indianapolis for that first road game week two, a week from Sunday. You just you never know who you may need game day. So they will travel all 16 members of the practice squad. Also, remember that COVID-19 testing mix-up a couple weeks ago? It was actually on Delta. Delta ended up flying the tests to the wrong location, so things got backlogged. So it was just it was a mess. It just tells you how many things need to be in place for each game to go off without a hitch. So far, so good after Thursday Night Football. We'll see how this weekend goes 
into Monday with a couple games, but just so many things in this COVID world that we're in need to be in place for the NFL to get through an entire season. University of Minnesota Regent Michael Shue, he's been on this podcast before. In fact, I'll track him down again in the near future. So today during the Board of Regents meeting, a regularly scheduled meeting, he brought up a resolution about let's play fall sports. He just wanted to see where the other regents stood. He tried to create some dialogue via email. It didn't go anywhere. Some of the regents said they were caught off guard, didn't want to vote. Regent Sviggum said, hey, I'd rather not even vote no because the no could generate a headline that we're anti-playing football here this fall, which isn't true. We just need more time to look at the resolution. Really, what does the resolution mean big picture? Not a whole lot, right? Like President Gable has to engage the other presidents and chancellors. Commissioner Warren would have to get the ball rolling. So just because the University of Minnesota Board of Regents votes one way, even if it was a yes vote, the no vote won out. But again, they're not anti-playing football and other fall sports this fall. It's more that they want to have more time to do their homework that Regent Shu caught them off guard. I just, I'm glad that there's actually some dialogue. Like we just haven't heard a lot of dialogue on campus here, right? Like Jim Harbaugh is walking down the street in Ann Arbor, the Michigan coach. You've got Ohio State vocal, you know, Coach Day all over social media. Nebraska as vocal as anybody in the country. Iowa, then you've got other schools that just aren't saying anything. Not that I expect Mark Coyle to offer up much. He's very buttoned up. He's going to do everything by the book. He'll support his commissioner, Kevin Warren, but it would be nice to hear more chatter from the University of Minnesota. So I'm grateful that Regent Chu at least started some of that dialogue today, even though it really went nowhere. We had the news, not shocking news, right? It was likely always a matter of when, not if, that the university would cut some sports. It's just hard to support 25 sports, especially hard in this COVID world right now. So three sports are done after their next season, which at this point, we don't even know if those seasons will happen. Men's gymnastics, men's track and field, and men's tennis. My colleague, I texted with John Roethlisberger, but my colleague, Droogie, had baseball practice last night that I wanted to get to. So my colleague, my boss, Joe Schmidt, ended up doing a Zoom conversation with Gophers gymnastics legend, multi-time Olympian, John Roethlisberger. He now lives in Tennessee. In fact, he was actually at a son's baseball game when I was texting with him, but he ended up doing a Zoom last night with Joe Schmidt. We featured some of it on the 10 o'clock news, our nightcast, but let me bring you some of that conversation, just a snippet of what John Roethlisberger, the all-time best gymnast in Gophers men's history, here's what he told my colleague Joe Schmidt about the sad news that men's gymnastics will be no longer at the University of Minnesota after next season. I'll just come out and ask you your reaction to this uh, really sad news. Yeah, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, honestly. Um, it's not surprising. Uh, it's frustrating because uh, I think there's other ways to do this. I think college athletics has lost its way, to be honest with you. And I've had conversations with a lot of people about that, people in administration as well, that it's, you know, if it didn't happen now, honestly, it's kicking the can down the road. And at some point, somebody needs to find a creative way uh, they need to find a way to create their way out of these problems, not cut their way out of these problems. And that's exactly what athletic directors seem to be born and bred to do, unfortunately. And, and it's sad. It is sad. It's 117 years of Minnesota gymnastics, 117 years. And Joe, I challenge you to find one negative uh, article or one negative headline, one negative footprint in 117 years of men's gymnastics. If you can find one, I'll buy you dinner. Gophers legend John Roethlisberger. That entire conversation is available on the sports page on KSTP.com. On the Wolves, in no particular order, phase one of this mini camp, although they've been training anyway, so really phase one isn't any different than what they've been doing for weeks, but it commences next week, then in two weeks. So I guess it would be, what, the week of September 21st, is when they can have actual scrimmages at Mayo Clinic Square. I know behind the scenes, they are looking for ways to bring those scrimmages to fans, some sort of stream. So, yeah, look out for that. I think a lot of people around here are yearning to watch the Wolves in some form or fashion. 
Associate head coach David Vanterpool is in the mix in Chicago and Indiana. I'm not sure I would make him a betting favorite in either of those two locations. New Orleans hasn't cast its wide net yet, but the expectation is when they do, Vanterpool will be included. I also would not be shocked if Oklahoma City reaches out to him. That being said, I guess I will be surprised if Vanterpool ends up with a head coaching job this offseason, but I do think it's when, not if. Wolves associate coach David Vanterpool will have a chance to be a head coach in the NBA. An ownership update, I would not count out Daniel E. Strauss at this point. I think I've gotten some questions on social media via email that because Strauss hasn't completed a deal yet, that he is out of the mix. I would not say that at all. Yeah, I get it. His exclusive negotiating window expired in August. He wasn't able to complete a deal with Glenn Taylor. He's been to town. He's met with Glenn Taylor, still hasn't been able to complete a deal. That doesn't mean that Daniel E. Strauss is out of this thing one bit. I would just advise that this is a lengthy, lengthy process. There are many hurdles to clear, many things to look at. This is a multi, multi, multi-month process. Like I still think that the Wolves and Lynx get sold before the start of next season, which we don't know when next season will even start at this point. Will it be Christmas? Will it be January? Will it be February? But do I think the Wolves are being sold like tomorrow or Sunday, or Monday, no, I don't think anything is happening quite that soon. On KG, he did a media tour this week. He's now an endorser for Crown Royal. I was trying to get some FaceTime with KG. I failed, but I'll continue to work on trying to get KG. I don't think Daniel E. Strauss, in fact, I'm positive that Daniel E. Strauss is not looking to bring KG into his group at this point, but I do think whether it's Strauss, whether it's a different group that ultimately ends up with the Wolves and Lynx, I could see that group after the transaction happens, them bringing KG into the fold. I guess I would be surprised, though, if KG is brought into any fold before a sale is official. The Wolves continue to do all sorts of draft homework. I'm told they were supposed to have a conversation on Tuesday with the LaMelo ball camp to set up an interview. I haven't been able to follow up on that, but there was a conversation that was supposed to take place on Tuesday. Also, the Wolves were expected to line up an interview this week with Anthony Edwards, at least schedule it for at some point in the near future. They were going to make the phone call this week to find whatever day works. So at this point, those interviews haven't happened, but they will in the near future. Former Gopher Daniel Oturu has already interviewed with the Jazz, the Bulls, and the Wizards. He was supposed to interview with the Cavs late last week, but that one had to be rescheduled. Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, the Wolves, the Spurs, and others will also talk to Oturu in the near future. Tyrell Terry, De La Salle High School. He's interviewed with 27 teams already. Some teams wanted to bring him back for a second virtual interview, but at this point, he is shutting things down. Is it possible that Tyrell Terry has a late first-round promise? Makes me wonder something to think about, but I do think he has a chance to go late first round. Zeke Najee, Hopkins High School, recently had a draft interview with Sacramento. He's nearly at the point that Tyrell is at at like 24 or 25 teams. So Tyrell Terry is at 27 teams. Zeke Najee at this point has talked to 24 or it might be even 25 teams. He's talked with darn near every team in the league. On the Twins, the chatter is very much alive about the Twins moving their AAA affiliate to CHS Field starting next year. Max Kepler and Mitch Garver are progressing nicely. Mitch is to the point of taking BP, getting down in the catcher's position, throwing the ball from home plate to second base. So he's been able to do more and more. It's all about the end of September. It's not about now. So the Twins can be conservative with these guys because they're pretty much locked in to one of those eight playoff spots. Yeah, seeding might matter a little bit, especially if that first round, that best of three, will be in home ballparks. Then at that point, the Twins could end up in a bubble, likely in Southern California. That would be for the Divisional Series, the Championship League Championship Series, then the World Series likely in Texas. So if the Twins get that far, it could be, let's say they're the two seed. They would play the seventh seed at Target Field, best of three, then play a best of, I guess, is it seven or five? I can't even remember the divisional series, but the divisional series would move to California. If they win that, get to the league championship series, a best of seven. Then if they won that, play the World Series against the National League winner in Texas. 
It's surprising, though, that Major League Baseball has not made any formal announcement on any sort of bubble. But the Twins, you'll hear this from Derek Falvey in a little bit, the Twins are operating as if the postseason, at least some of the postseason, if not all of the postseason, will operate in some sort of bubble. But at this point, it's possible that the first round, that best of three, will take place in home ballparks. The Twins, even with no fans in the stands, have been really, really good at target field. So maybe for them, more so than other teams, playing that first round at target field could mean something. Last at bat, we can debate. I think it means something, but depending on reliever, hitter matchups, I don't think last at bat is all that big of a deal. My point is, if you're the six seed or the seven seed or the two seed or the three seed, I'm not quite sure it'll matter all that much. Heck, the Yankees could be the eight seed, get healthy, and easily beat the one seed. Like, this will be the year. It's just it's so weird where an eight can beat a one, a seven can beat a two. A six can beat a three, but it will be fun starting that last week in September. I talked with Twins first-round pick Aaron Sabato earlier this week. I'll bring you that conversation on a future podcast, not this podcast, episode 313, but a future podcast. Anyway, he's been training, and he doesn't want us to pigeonhole him as a DH or just a first baseman. He's actually been taking a lot of ground balls this summer at third base. He's been working a lot on his footwork. He just wants to have versatility. He's been getting in a lot of swings, but it's a lot of swings off a machine. He's been able to see some live pitching, but you know it's been challenging. Like For a lot of guys that aren't on the taxi squads at these alternate sites, it's been hard for a lot of these guys to maintain any sort of semblance of you know, what a regular season would look like. Like a normal year, Aaron Sabato would have been, who knows, he might have been in Cedar Rapids, maybe even Fort Myers at some point by August. Like he would have gotten to see a lot of live pitching this summer, gotten at bats. But hey, you know, with everything going on in this covert world, he wasn't able to do that. But he has been trying to stay as sharp as he can. He's waiting for the phone to ring. He doesn't have any direction quite yet from the Twins, even though they're in constant dialogue, but nothing is is firmly in place. But he's ready to head to Fort Myers for some sort of instructional work. Could that involve games in September, later September, October, November, maybe December? He's just waiting for the phone to ring. He would love to get down to Fort Myers to get some formal workouts in. All right, let me now get to some conversations. Let me begin with Michael Lombardi, former GM of the Browns, longtime NFL front office executive. He's now a media personality, works for The Athletic, works for some other outlets. He was nice enough to do a Zoom with me the other day. We previewed the NFC North. Here is former Browns general manager, current NFL analyst. He is one of the best around, used to be on NFL Network. Love his insight. Here is my conversation from Thursday with Michael Lombardi. Michael, last week I was talking to somebody I presume that you know at least relatively well, maybe really well, Michael Tannenbaum. And Michael, and I don't know if Mike was just playing to the Minnesota audience, but I think he was being genuine when he told me he thinks the Vikings, not the Packers, not the Bears, not the Lions. He thinks the Vikings win the NFC North. As you handicap this division, how do you see it playing out? Well, look, I, I think there's a lot to like about the Minnesota Vikings, and there's also a lot of question marks. I think this will be the first time they've been so young, especially in the secondary, where they're really going to have to show improvement. I think when you break down Minnesota last year, one of the concerns was their defense didn't play to what Mike Zimmer's defense typically plays to, especially on third down. Mike Zimmer is one of the best third down football coaches in the league. And last year they ranked 14th in the middle of the pack in that area. And they couldn't get off the field against the 49ers on third down. That's usually when a Zimmer defense shines. It didn't last year. So that's got to change. And then I think the offensive line has got to be able to play at a higher level and they've got to be able to pass protect if they get behind in games. And then the hurdle they must get over, which they didn't last year is to beat the green Bay Packers. I mean, they got dominated at home in, against Green Bay with fans in the stands. So they're going to have to do that. But I think as this team comes together, let's not judge September too harshly and go in and see what they do. There's a lot of good young players on this team that can certainly make a run. You mentioned Zimmer being a brilliant third down coach. How about just Zimmer overall? When you rank head coaches in this league, where would you rank Mike Zimmer? Well, I think he's in the top 10 of the coaches. He's tough. And his teams project who he is, right? They're a tough team. You know, when you look at Chicago, you know, Matt Nagy's teams have not been very tough. They've been kind of soft. They'd rather run a triple reverse to get a yard than actually just line up and punch you in the mouth. Mike Zimmer's teams are tough. 
And I think they'll even be tougher this year. I think with his son helping the defense along with Andre Patterson, I think Mike's going to get back into the defense. I think one of the reasons he made the change was because it was probably getting away from him a little bit too much and he didn't like it. So I expect that toughness and that, that really gritty personality to show up more on the Minnesota defense than it has in the past. You mentioned Andre Patterson, one of the better defensive line coaches in the league. And yeah, now he has the title of, of co-defensive coordinator. I think a lot of people are excited with Ngakwe coming here, you know, just in, in terms of he's good, right? But there might be another level there. But the combination of Ngakwe with Patterson, and maybe Ngakwe takes another step up. Yeah, and then you got Hunter on the other side. Once he comes off the injured reserve list, I think that's going to be critical, right? So you've got two guys that can rush from the outside. I mean, because Everson Griffith was a really good player. I mean, they don't beat New Orleans in the Superdome without Everson Griffith lined up over Larry Warford over at left guard and really creating some huge problems for the New Orleans offensive line and Drew Brees in particular. So, you know, I think that combination of that, I think losing Michael Pierce concerns me because even though Michael's that was never always in great shape with the Baltimore Ravens, he gave him a physical rundown presence. I think a lot of that burden is going to fall on some other guys they need so they can get to third down and then they can utilize their skill sets to attack the passer. Did it surprise you that the Vikings made that trade for Ngakwe? I mean, they could have tried to resign. I mean, they did. They, they made Everson Griffin some sort of offer, depending on who you talk to, Michael. It was either a really nice offer or maybe not so nice, but he ends up in Dallas. But they give up multiple draft picks. Now, granted, they have a lot of draft capital, but how did you size up the Ngakwe trade when they could have either re-signed Griffin or they could have signed somebody like Clay Matthews? Well, you know, Clay Matthews isn't as good a rusher as Ngakwe. And the fact that they got him to take a $5 million pay cut is somewhat remarkable. I mean, it really is a tribute to the young man who wanted to get out of Jacksonville. So it also gives them a chance to see if they can sign him to a long-term contract. You know, they have a, a low second-round pick into him. If he happens to leave, they'll get a low third-round pick and a compensatory draft pick for them. So, you know, they did lose something, but not a lot of capital in that area. Look, I, I think anytime you can add defense alignment, if your objective is to win a Super Bowl, you have to collect as many good defense alignment that can put pressure on the quarterback. You're never going to cover in the National Football League. The quarterbacks are too good, right? They're, you know, when we were kids playing in the backyard, no one got open when we counted the three Mississippi but everybody got open when we counted to five Mississippi. That's the NFL. The teams that can get there that really play three Mississippi football, they're the ones who win. On good quarterbacks, what do you think of Kirk Cousins? I mean, he's as polarizing as it gets here. I mean, depending on who you talk to, they either love him or they don't love him. My point would be you're not doing any better. Like, we can, right. we can nitpick Kirk, but at the time – with the free agent options that were presented, Kirk was by far the, the right choice. And at this point, like, you're not doing any better to me, Michael. So to me, if you're a Vikings fan, you know, you just you hope for the best. But I'm not quite sure they can do better than Cousins. I mean, it's a little bit like being jealous of somebody who was born into wealth, right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, you're, you're worried about, you know, that's they really had a bad fare. I mean, Kirk didn't ask for the franchise tag. You know, he didn't ask for Washington to make blunder after blunder on his salary. He just took advantage of it. So is he overpaid? Probably, yeah, there's no doubt. But why should we get mad at him for that? That's part of the system. He played it brilliant. Mike McCarthy, his agent, they played it brilliantly. So, you know, I think separate that. I think what happens when we evaluate players, we allow the money to seep in. You know, I tell this to people all the time. We go to see Bruce Springsteen play at a concert. No one argues how much money Bruce makes a year because none of us think we can play the guitar like he can or can write songs like he can. But we all think we can play quarterback like Kirk Cousins. So why does he make so much money, right? And it's, they're both entertainers, and we have to leave it alone. Look, Cousins has got to prove that he can play big in big games. I mean, that's a fact. He's got to step up, and I think Gary Kubiak's a great offensive coach. I think they, they run the right package for what Kirk does. He's a play-action pass thrower. And they need Dalvin Cook. They need Madison to have big years so that they can go ahead and do that. The question mark, if you're a Viking fan, which I'm sure most are listening to this, is Adam Thielen moves from a number two receiver to a number one. He's going to see more double teams than he's ever had in the past. How he raises his level of play is going to be really interesting to see. On Dalvin, I mean, we see Joe Mixon get the nice deal. We see Derrick Henry get the nice deal. Presumably Kamara in New Orleans is going to get a nice deal. Yet the Vikings and Dalvin Cook's agent remain at an impasse. Are you curious to see how that situation plays out? I think we've have, we've, we have created this, this notion that uh, running backs shouldn't get paid. But there's some running backs who are playmakers. Alvin Kamara is a playmaker. 
you know, Dalvin Cook's a playmaker. They can impact the passing game. Zeke Elliott's a playmaker. He can impact the passing game. If you can't impact the passing game and you're just a runner and you have a little bit of a role on third down or passing downs, you can't get paid. That's a hard thing to do. Now, the, the Titans paid Derrick Henry. Great. He carried them into the divisional championship game last year. But for the most part, you can't pay just a runner. You need to play, pay a playmaker. And I think there's the debate. I think the, the, probably what's happening is the Vikings see him as the runner and the agents see him as the playmaker. And how's that going to work together? I mean, it's a run-first offense, though, right? I mean, you just mentioned it, how, how it, it, you know, the play action is key. But to have a play action, right, you need to have some semblance of a running game. I know there's some healthy debate about how much of a running game you really need to have to, to get the play action to work. But, like, the way the Vikings operate, Michael, like, to me, Dalvin is more important to them than other running backs are to, to their particular teams, like a team like Kansas City that's passed first. Well, and that theory, you're right, but the but also, you know, Kubiak has been with the program that seems to find running backs no matter where they are. You know, whether it's Terrell Davis in the sixth round, whether it's, you know, uh, Clinton Portis in the second round, then we let him go, we bring in Mike Bell or we bring in whomever, and next thing you know, we have all these. I mean, look at Mostert out in San Francisco. So, you know, the system really helps them. I think the key for Minnesota's offense is simply this. When they get behind in games and they can't throw and they can't utilize play action, are they good enough to drop back and throw the football? That's going to be the key. And I think that's the question that I would have about their offense going into this year. Are you surprised that the Vikings are favored on Sunday? It's close. It's what, a two and a half point spread. And I get it. What, there's three points for, well, I guess in a normal year, home field advantage, which, which doesn't exist, but like, I don't know. The Packers win both games last year. Daniil Hunter is out. Like, you can make a case that Green Bay should be favored on Sunday. Yeah, you know, Green Bay was an, is an interesting team, right? So they go into last year, they win 13 games. Vegas thinks so highly of them, they post their over-under win total at nine. So they're four games below what they won last year. I don't think anybody's really buying Green Bay as this great team. They are a good team. But I think when you look at Aaron Rodgers the last five years, he's averaged 7.1 yards per attempt. The five years before that, he was at 8.4. He has steadily declined in the ability to throw the ball down the field. And that has problem is magnified again because they've given him no help at receiver. If they double Devontae Adams, where's the ball going? And how is it going to get there? You know, we know Aaron Jones is a fabulous back, and I'm sure A.J. Dillon will have a big role along with Williams. But the question marks on defense, you, you have to wonder – how much that Gary Kubiak will take from what Kyle Shanahan did in that game, and where is Green Bay going to be able to fit their run force against what Kubiak does by formation? So, you know, I'm not surprised because it's always a new year. I don't think you can go off of last year. What would be a fair money line if I asked you this question? Aaron Rodgers won't be a Packer this time next year. September 10th, 2021, Aaron Rodgers will not be a Packer. What would be a fair money line? I think that I would bet that he's going to be a Packer. First of all, financially, it's going to be hard to cut him, you know. And secondly, how good is Jordan Love? I mean, it's a two-part question. You really can't answer it until we know how good Jordan Love is. And, and you can only go by speculation. There's words out of Green Bay he hasn't looked good. I don't know what that means. I think if you're a Viking fan, this is the first time since Vince Lombardi came to Green Bay in 1959 that the president of the Packers has all the power. This has never happened in your lifetime. I was born in 59, so it really hasn't happened in my lifetime, where the Packer president, Mark Murphy, is truly, truly the CEO of the company. He is running everything. It's never happened before. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. What do you think of Detroit and Chicago in the division? Well, look, I think Matthew Stafford's the best quarterback in the NFC North. I've said that on my program, Beeson, on, on, on Sirius 204. I've said it on my podcast, the GM Supple. The last eight games that he played last year with his wife, Kelly, uh, coming off the brain tumor and going through the, the treatments and all that, for him to be able to focus and concentrate and to play at the highest level he played at 8.2 yards per attempt down the field. Incredible. 19 touchdowns, I think four interceptions. Remarkable year. You know, now the Lions didn't really help them very much on defense, but they had an opportunity to beat Kansas City. But the Lions two point defense is the worst in football. They lost games because of it. So if the Lions would have gotten in Dockway, I would have said, man, they could be the team to beat in the North. For me, I think they have to prove they're better on defense. I'm not a Mitchell Trubisky fan. I've never been one. I can't understand how you could draft a guy who was all who was second team all ACC, who only started one year 
over a guy named Deshaun Watson who was all ACC every year, and he started four years. It makes no sense to me at all, and Bears fans have to suffer through it. Doesn't it make – is it easier, though, you hand Trubisky the keys if he fails miserably – is it easier to then go to Foles versus if you handed Foles yeah. the keys? And if yeah. he fails, then going back to Trubisky? Yeah, well, well first of all, if you would have tried to go to – and I said this all, all summer on my program, on, my, on the Lombardi line. I said, look, there's no way they can't start Mitchell Trubisky. I'll write the press release when they announce the starting. And it pretty much came out exactly how I wrote it, you know, uh, because Trubisky is such a fragile ego guy. He's heard about Mahomes. He's heard about Watson. You know, he knows they've made all this money. He knows – that people in Chicago really resent him. So if they bench him to start the season, he doesn't have enough competitive fiber in him to come off the bench and say, I'll show you. They need to nurse him along. And the only way you could do that is by letting him be the starter. The fact they signed Nick Foles tells you all you need to know. Nick is the nicest kid of all. He's the, you know, Eddie Haskell of quarterbacks. He's friendly. He'll come in. He's not going to just cut your throat out to be the starter. Had they signed Cam Newton, if they would have signed Cam Newton, then all bets were off. But remember, the Bears have an agenda here. They want Trubisky to still be a great player. They think he still could be a great player because they are still dealing with the fact that they passed up Watson and passed up Mahomes. I'll hit you with two more. How big of a fan are you of Justin Jefferson? Well, I think, you know, look, I'm a big fan of the LSU program last year and how well they threw the football and what he did. I think always for me, receivers, young receivers particularly, have to overcome dealing with press coverage. And, and that we haven't had a lot of time with camp because in college, it's easy. Other than an Alabama game, you know, you can come off the line, separate and run a route and it's all nice and pretty. But in pro football, you're going to have to beat that guy trying to jam you at the line and win. I think the speed of the game early in September will catch up on these rookies. I think he'll have a great season. He's pro ready to play, so that's a good thing. And I'll leave you with this. What are you most curious to see as we enter these week one games? Like for me, it's, it's special teams. It's the officials. Like how rusty are the officials? It's just tackling and, and guys that haven't been tackled in, in nine months for the most part. Like uh, oh, It's, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly, isn't it? It's going to yeah. be ugly. Let's just, let's just accept it as ugly, right? And there's not going to be precision whatsoever. And there's going to be a high pad level. There's going to be a lot of missed tackles. There's going to be a lot of poor fundamentals. I think the teams that do less win, Minnesota, they don't do a lot. They'll be able to coach that up. Fundamentally sound teams will win. I think teams that are in really good condition will win because nobody's used to playing these many plays. You don't do it in practice. You get worn down. And I think that it will come down to conditioning, pad level, the fundamentals, the basics of what football is all about. Michael Lombardi, longtime NFL front office executive, now works for The Athletic, does his podcast. He mentioned some of the things he does right now. love picking his brain. Let me now pick the brain of Mike Tannenbaum. I did so, in fact, a handful of days ago. ESPN analyst. He used to be in the front office of the Jets and the Dolphins. He also was an agent at one point, in fact, helping rep. He was with Priority Sports. I mean, they rep Kirk Cousins, a bunch of different individuals. He actually worked in the in the coaches portion of, of that agency. But yeah, he's done it all. I mean, agent, front office executive, now media personality. Here are some thoughts from Mike Tannenbaum on the Vikings. Mike Yannick. Ngakwe, your thoughts on the Vikings making the trade for the very talented pass rusher? Boy, I like this trade a lot. I think it's just so much about the environment and infrastructure that Coach Simmer, Rick Spielman have created that you have a young, productive, healthy pass rusher that's taking less money to leave Jacksonville to go to Minnesota. So I think it's more about a, the referendum on the program and what an unbelievable job they've done that players want to go for less money there. I think it makes Danell Hunter a much better player. It minimizes uh, losing Everson Griffin. And when you think about that, the Vikings lost all three of their top corners from last year. The best way to minimize that transition is to have a good pass rush. And now they have a whole year to try to recruit him. So I think the move was uh, really spectacular by Minnesota. How crazy is it that he is leaving, what, millions upon millions of dollars on the table by not signing that tender down in Jacksonville? Yeah, I think it says a lot about what Minnesota's doing. Um, it says a lot about the kid, about how important he wants to be in the right environment. Um, and I think it makes a, a good Minnesota defense better. Again, concerned about the transition at corner, but the best way to minimize the lack of experience at corner is a good pass rush. 
he has a knack for for stripping the ball from the quarterback. Like, is that something that sticks out as you evaluate film of, of Ngakwe and what's made him a really good player? He was unbelievable in 17, but he's been good since then. Is that one skill where you say, okay, that's that's one area that absolutely will help the Vikings immediately? Yeah, absolutely, because a strip sack can just change the game. It can end a drive. It keeps points off the board. Uh, when you can convert sacks to turnovers, those are truly uh, game-changing plays. What do you think is a logical long-term deal for Ngakwe? Not that that needs to be negotiated anytime soon. They can't even talk until, you know, come March. But what is logical? Because, like, can you pay him more than you're paying Daniil Hunter? Yeah, I think you're going to have to because he'll certainly get down the open market. Um, and they're north of $20 million a year. I don't think he has to get up to where Joey Bosa is. But, again, young, productive, healthy pass rushers are really hard to find. How good of a capologist is Rob Brzezinski? They convinced Riley Reef to take, it looks like a $5 million pay cut, that Reef is still in the fold. They don't need to cut Riley Reef, so they have the best of both worlds. Reef is back, and they make this trade for Ngakwe. Yeah, it really worked out well for them. And, you know, Rob's a guy that I've uh, known for a long time, bright, talented. And, uh, you know, again, uh, I think this trade says so much about the whole organization that they could pull something like this off. Do you like the Vikings' chances? Like, as you handicap the NFC North race, do you like the Vikings' chances in the division? Absolutely. I think it's them and then everybody else. I think those other three teams have, you know, varying degrees of uh, uncertainty. Certainly Chicago does in my book. And then, um, you know, Green Bay not adding receiver. I, I think Detroit will be better, but I like Minnesota overall. That's interesting because Green Bay still has enough guys back from, from the division champion team of a year ago. But you think the Vikings are a cut above Green Bay? I do. I do. And uh, I think Minnesota uh, – Green Bay not adding a receiver will hurt them long-term. And, again, no team is perfect in the salary cap era. Um, you know, we'll see how Minnesota does, especially, you know, in their secondary. But I think they can score points and they can rush the passer. When you can score points and rush the passer, it gives you a chance. Are you surprised that the Vikings have not signed Dalvin Cook to a long-term deal? Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, so much has been made about the running back market. And um, I think Dalvin, he, he's really an explosive player. Um, I like him a lot, but – you know, we're seeing, you know, Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Devontae Freeman, all these talented running backs sign extensions, and they, then they move on. So um, I'm not totally surprised. Would you pay him what the Bengals just paid Mixon or what the Titans paid Henry? Pro probably not, just given the fact that um, they have so many other uh, players that they need to pay. But I think Cook's a great player, don't get me wrong. It'll be interesting to see what takes place next March when you have Anthony Harris, Dalvin Cook, and Ngakwe that can be unrestricted free agents. They have the hammer with, with being able to put the franchise tag on one of those three, but it could be an interesting March for the Vikings. Absolutely, and those are good problems to have where you have a lot of good players coming up. It beats the alternative. What else sticks out to you about the Vikings as, as we're now? I mean, the countdown's on. Yeah, I, I think they were had a productive offseason. Um, I love Jefferson. I can't wait to watch him play. He's smart. He's versatile, really good hands. So, Excited to see what he can do as well. And I think it's a really good Viking offense. Did you like Cam Dantzler, the, the third-round cornerback out of Mississippi State? Did you like him? Because he has, so far, Mike, I mean, and, and Gladney's going to play. Gladney was the second of their first-round picks. Jeff Gladney's going to play. But right now, week one against Green Bay, I can just tell you, Mike, Cam Dantzler's going to be one of those starting cornerbacks. Yeah, no, he had, he had good tape coming out, good athlete. Um, and, again, there's a great opportunity because – you lost, you know, Waynes and McKendee Alexander, um, Xavier Rhodes. Someone's going to have to step up. And like you said, it, it may be one or two or both of those guys will play early. Um, Coach Zimmer's done a great job in his career going back to Cincinnati. Dallas has an assistant where he's developed young corners. So I don't think he's afraid to play any of those guys. And again, by getting in Gakwe, now you don't have to cover for as long. Mike Tannenbaum, let me now transition to my conversation from late last week, although a lot of the talking points are still applicable, with Twins President of Operations, Derek Falvey. When the weekend concludes, you guys will be, I don't know, it's like 65 to 70% of the way through the schedule. I guess just what what stands out so far is you, you know, maybe it's a state of the team address, I guess, what what jumps to mind? I think when I think about when we restarted and we were in summer camp and realizing that it was going to be a 60-game sprint, we knew it would come quickly. We knew the, the trade deadline would come quickly. We knew that we'd be in the second half of the season before we blinked our eyes, and, and, and we're there now. And I think for us, what I'm proud of so far, we got off to a great start. I think our guys were really prepared coming out of camp 
which was not an easy thing to do in a short period of time, and, and then continued to progress. We've dealt with some injuries. We've dealt with that adversity that comes along with that. And our guys have persisted through. So while we've had some ups and downs along the way, I'm still really happy we're right now in playoff position and have a chance to put ourselves in a good position if we get uh, ultimately a, play, a chance to play in October. On that, I mean, how, how big a deal is winning the division? You talk about playoff position. I mean, you know, if you're the seventh seed, is it really that much different than, let's say, you win the Central and you're like the two seed? Is it that big of a deal? I think our guys are always going to look at it as uh, win as many games as you can, and, and there's a pride in, in winning a division. This is different, though. You're right. I, there's, it's not the same exact playoff format. It's not the same exact benefit you get ultimately by winning a division relative to the normal wild card format. So we're all going to play a three-game set to start it. I think the key there is, and you don't know where everyone's going to shake out. There may be a seeding reality where you, you feel you match up better against the team uh, based on a, a certain seed you're sitting in. So I think some of that we just can't control. Our guys will try and put ourselves in the best position to win as many as we can. And then hopefully in that last week, if we're in a good position, we can prepare ourselves for that, that, that playoff uh, three-game set with lining up pitching and maybe giving our guys a little bit of rest going into it. I suppose that upcoming seven-game stretch in Chicago, what is it, four against the White Sox, three against the Cubs. I suppose those seven games will go a long way in determining what seed you guys ultimately are. I, I think so, certainly. The White Sox are a great team. You know, we've played them well so far this year. We know they're, they're in a good position. Uh, and then the Cubs certainly have, have played really well and, and leading over there on the, on the National League Central side. Those will be, those will be tough games for a long stretch. Uh, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, our division has really been uh, formidable, you know, throughout the course of the year. You know, Cleveland's, Cleveland's a good team. The White Sox, we know, are a good team. We're right in that mix as well. We knew that coming in. I mean, Detroit, you know, is another club that uh, out just outside the playoff picture at the time, uh, but, you know, is certainly in a position to try and fight for one of those last spots. So we feel like this is a good division, and we're going to have to battle all the way through in addition to playing the NL Central, which we know has been competitive over the last number of years. Could you make a case it's the best division in baseball? I, I would. I certainly would. When I look at our group and I look at those teams and multiple teams that got to 20 wins, you know, already and, and some of the other divisions didn't have that. Uh, I think the, the Cleveland and the Chicago White Sox us and, and really Detroit, the way they've played of late, I think all, you know, deserve a lot of mention as teams that are competing for playoff spots. And I don't think every division can tell you there are four clear clubs that are in that position. Are you operating, Derek, as if the playoffs will be in some sort of bubble, whether that's Southern California, Texas, somewhere that's that's not target field? Yeah, I am. I, certainly the league has given us some indication that uh, we will have some form of bubble along the way. So, uh, and, and, I, and we feel we'll understand exactly what the mechanics of that are going forward. I think the commissioner has been very explicit about the benefits to that, and there still needs to be some details worked out with the Players Association and otherwise. But I think we can all understand why that could be beneficial for the league. So we'll, we'll adapt to whatever the, the rules and, and the regulations are for where we need to go and what it needs to look like. But I think at present, we're keeping in mind that a, a bubble plan may be our, our future if we get to the playoffs. How tricky are these, are these road trips? Like I think about the recent, what was it, a 10-day or 10-game road trip? Like can these guys even go like down the street for a walk? Like are they trapped in their room? Like I don't think people comprehend – just the mental grind of, of just being stuck in a hotel room all day. You're exactly right. I, I think the, the part that people don't fully appreciate is being in that hotel and not moving around. Guys can go take a walk. They can get outside a little bit. But in order to do that, you have to check in with a, a compliance officer, kind of give them an outline of where you're going and how long you expect to be gone. So uh, it, is, it does feel a little uh, trapping. I know a number of our guys, while they do get out maybe to get some fresh air, spend quite a bit of their time inside the the hotel. So it's not a normal life on the road. Clearly, we're trying to do everything we can to keep our guys healthy and safe, and they understand that. But uh, at the end of the day, it's not quite as much fun, I would say, when you're on the road, if you can't just get out and, and maybe go to some of your favorite restaurants along the way. But we, we all understand the, the importance of that, and our guys are, are doing a great job adhering to the protocol. As you look back at Monday's trade deadline, you know, now a few days, you know, fast forward here. I mean, anything, anything that you wish you would have done differently? You know, we, we explored so many fits with so many different clubs, just talking about different players, maybe laying the groundwork for some offseason conversations as well in the event that we have some matches for, for subsequent years. That's typical at the deadline, and that's something I think we did even a little bit more this year. But the reality was with 16 playoff teams this year, uh, certainly uh, m many more than you would normally have with a really tight squeeze over the course of a 60-game season, 
there were a lot fewer uh, sellers than there were in a normal market. And as a result, I feel like we, we stayed uh, disciplined to our, our big picture plan, which is we feel this is a great team when healthy, when on the field and when going at full strength. Uh, we feel it's a deep team, both on the pitching side and the position player side. So uh, we didn't want to bump anyone off this club that we felt was going to be a big impact player for us down the stretch here. Uh, and, and certainly our focus has been on how do we continue to sustain this? So it wasn't our goal to try and shoot for just something that was short term over a, a shorter portion of a, a month in September, uh, ultimately. So I feel good about the group that we have. I feel good about our process at the deadline. And I look forward to seeing how our guys play down the stretch here. Were some teams trying to buy your guys? I mean, we talk a lot about maybe you trying to acquire, you know, whether it was, you know, somebody with multiple years of control remaining or a pending free agent. But you have a bunch of pending free agents. You have a lot of guys that I would think would have appeal to, to other GMs, other clubs. How often were you asked about guys on the 28-man on the roster? Yeah, we get asked about our players a lot. Certainly, we talk about our prospects and, and the deep pool there, but also you know, major league players as well. It was a little less uh, common this year to, to reach out or reach out to us around our pending free agents. I think teams know where we are competitively and, and know that those guys play a, a meaningful role for this season. Uh, but yeah, the guys that are under control and good players for us that have multiple years of control, they're sought after by other clubs. And so uh, we've had those conversations. Uh, certainly takes a lot for us to talk about those guys because they're you know, a huge part of what we're doing now. So uh, we always have to stay open-minded. You know, we can't turn off the phones. We have to listen, we have to explore because the goal is to make the best Twins team, not just in 2020, but over multiple years ahead. And uh, it takes some some difficult conversations at times, but certainly uh, we're going to continue to have those if if it means that we're going to find a way to put the best team on the field. One of those pending free agents is 40-year-old Nelson Cruz. Derek, I'm running out of ways to to describe his brilliance. I, me too. I, and, and, you, and you do it for a living, so I, I can't I can't find a way uh, to to describe it, you know, any more than the, the way you guys have. I mean, I feel like you know he means so much inside the the environment and the clubhouse and what he's done to help our guys, but. What he does on the field at his age, you know, how well he takes care of himself, how prepared he is every night. Uh, it's, it's been phenomenal to watch, and, and uh, I'm really just proud of him, uh, happy to have him. He's earned a lot of accolades uh, over the years, uh, some of the more recent ones around what he's doing in his humanitarian efforts and uh, the awards he's gotten. I think he's as proud of those as he is of the 500-foot bombas he seems to hit on a regular basis. So he's a great guy. We're really happy to have Big-time priority to have him back next year? He's definitely a big part of our conversation and uh, something that, you know, we, we have in the off season, typically don't talk too much about that during the season, but we have a good relationship with his agent. We have a great relationship with Nelly. Uh, I know he loves it here in Minnesota. So uh, we'll see what happens when we get to the off season, but uh, because he's earned that right as a free agent, certainly to have that conversation. Uh, but I'm, he's a priority for us. No question. How about his impact on, on Miguel Sano? Like I'm thinking those two, I mean, where would you guys be without those two bats this year? Yeah, no doubt. We've had to have guys step up. You know, I, I know coming into the season, we talked about our offense from last year and and what uh, and, and building on that. But we've had some guys uh, with some injuries and, and maybe not playing quite to the level that they had a year ago. Uh, but other guys have had to step up. And I think those two in particular in the middle of the lineup, I'm really proud of Miguel and, and what he's done because he started off the year, certainly was, a, was an early uh, COVID IL and, and didn't have time to get ready in the normal way. And I, I think that gets underestimated sometimes how hard that is to jump into a major league environment without minor league games, without rehab games to really get yourself going. He eventually did. And now he's become a huge part of the middle of our lineup. So those two guys have really, uh, really been a key part of, of where we are today and, and what our record is right now, along with our pitching staff and our defense. So I'm, I'm proud of the group. I'm happy to get some of these guys back and more healthy. And as we go forward, seeing them all play together and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, Josh Donaldson, right? I mean, goes without saying how happy you are to have him back in the lineup. Yeah, he's, I mean, he comes in his first game back and, uh, and comes in and you see the at-bats he takes. I don't think he gives one pitch away <laughs> during the course of an at-bat. I mean, he is locked in from pitch to pitch, takes good swings. He's prepared. Uh, he obviously plays great defense over third base, too. So I, I think it only helps us and only deepens our group clearly. He's a big part of what we're trying to do. So having him back and healthy has been a, a really nice boost for our club. I suppose last year, Derek, your, your offense was historically good. Like, there was going to be some sort of regression. Like, it would be impossible to duplicate all the success of last year. But, like, I struggle with, with how to analyze this, right? Like, we're talking 30-something games, like normal year. This is a relatively small sample size. So, like, how, how do you process? How do, how do you guys in the front office process all this? 
Yeah, we had no no doubt that there would be some regression from last year's historic offense. It's hard to put up your 100th percentile outcome in the back-to-back -back years for sure. But those guys did a great job. We still think the underlying talent's the same, you know, and, and maybe better, you know, with some of these guys advancing and, and moving along. Uh, we did notice as a league, our offense was down, you know, as, a, as across the league to start this year. Uh, there were fewer, you know, spring training games or summer camp games, obviously, so you didn't get as much time to, to see pitching. I, I think that's a good reason why. Uh, but ultimately, when we assess our players, you just said it, 30-day samples are what they are. You know, if you have a, a, an okay month in May, no one really pays that much attention to it over the course of a, a full long season. But the reality is this season's only a couple of months. So we just need to, we need to focus on the controllables, which is how are our guys taking at bats? Are we swinging and missing at pitches? you know, that are out of the zone? Are we chasing? How's our approach? I think our hitting guys, Rocco, the staff, they do a great job of getting each player prepared. And right now, when I look at a lot of that underlying information, a lot of our guys are taking good, good at bats. Some hits will fall along the way, uh, but we're playing great defense and, and we're certainly pitching really well. So I think however you win the game and you get more runs than the other club, I, I don't really care. As long as at the end of the day, we have more than the other guy. How much has Kenta Maeda the expectations you had for him preseason, how much has he exceeded those expectations? Well, we felt like Kenta, based on what we gathered, was a guy who we knew could start in a rotation regularly. You know, he had been bounced a little bit back and forth in, in, in Los Angeles uh, due to the depth they had in their starting staff and the role he could play in the playoffs uh, as, a, as a reliever at times. But we had every expectation uh, that he could start and start well. I think the thing that really stood out that we, we, we knew, but not to the extent, it's just how adaptable and how adjustable and how athletic he is. You know, he has made changes on the fly through the course of the year. Uh, that splitter and, and what he's been able to do against left-handed hitters to really improve what, what he can be as a pitcher, as an all-around pitcher, uh, has just made him better. And I've been, I've been really impressed by how well he's taken to some of the new ideas, some of the information that's been shared, and the ability to really attack lefties in a different way been a big part of what we're doing he's been one of the best pitchers really in all of baseball so uh, we're excited to see him not just this year but in the in the years ahead help lead our staff I suppose you would take the one-two punch come October of of Kenta and then what we saw from Jose the other night I guess it would have been what Wednesday against uh, Chicago yeah I think what Jose we, we've seen some ups and downs from him no question he'll be the first to admit that but what we're seeing more recently is it's consistency, you know, from his pitches and what he did against Chicago the other night was exactly what we hope to see out of Jose more regularly. But with Kenta and Jose, with a Rich Hill who's still building back into into the pitcher that we we know he can be, uh, along with Jake Odorizzi getting healthy, Michael Pineda coming back has been big for us. And, you know, he threw the ball really well the other night. I think if we have a deep staff like that and some of those guys may ultimately come out of the bullpen as we see starters do in the playoffs that that will help us a lot but in a three-game series when you got to win two out of three I think it's all hands on deck from game one so we'll try and uh, figure out a way if we get there uh, to, to utilize all of those guys to the best of our ability. Jake Odorizzi right I mean he's close to coming back? Yeah Jake Jake certainly another one that it, right now is continuing to work back uh, he's scheduled here uh, for a for a sim game over with St. Paul to kind of make sure that he builds his way back He's had some stops and starts this year so far. So we want to make sure that uh, when he gets going, when he gets rolling, we're hopeful to get the, the sharpest, uh, most ready Jake Odorizzi in, in really the mid to second half por portion of here in the, in the month of September. That was a good portion of my conversation with Derek Falvey from late last week. The final two minutes, I got updates on Stashak and Littell. Since that conversation, both guys activated Littell at the alternate site in St. Paul. Stashak back in the Twins bullpen. Always appreciate Derek Falvey's time. Let me wrap up Scoop Podcast episode 313 on this Friday late afternoon, the 11th of September. Never forget 9-11. I'll wrap it up with my conversation from the other day with wild goalie Alex Stalock. I was on a shoot. I was in the gym at ETS in Woodbury with Rashad Bateman. That's for a future TV story. Plus, I'll bring you the Rashad Bateman conversation at some point on this podcast. But in the gym also that day was Alex Stalock. So I pulled Alex aside and said, hey, let's catch up. So here's my brief conversation from recently with wild goalie Alex Stalock. Today is proof that there is no such thing as an offseason. We don't even know when next season is going to start, but the grind never stops. Yeah, we took a little time off. Um, obviously, we were out early, but we didn't want it to end that way. And honestly, you get uh, you kind of get bored sitting around. So come back in here and be around the guys. It makes it easy. 
as you look back at, at what took place in Edmonton, I guess what what stands out as, as you look at the early exit? Um, you know, we came in prepared and we felt good about our game, to be honest. And, you know, we played good right away. And uh, then, uh, you know, there was changes made in the series. That always happens in playoffs. And, uh, you know, they got uh, their special teams clicking and kind of took advantage of the series. And, you know, in a short series like that, uh, they capitalized on it. And, um, you know, it's, it's good for a lot of our guys. You know, we got young guys that uh, can take from that and learn. And um, obviously, we, we wanted to hopefully still be playing. That was the goal. But, uh, you know, anytime you get in the playoffs, take positives out of it and go from there. Bittersweet. I mean, it was a really good year for you individually, but clearly team-wise, it just didn't end the way you wanted it to. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, we had a ton of momentum when the regular season came to an end, which kind of stinks. It, I mean, for everybody in the league, obviously, but the way we were playing at the end and to all of a sudden, you know, have to come to an abrupt stop, it, it uh, killed a little momentum. But like I said, we came back in and guys worked for that uh, month of training camp. We came back and, and they wanted it. That fire was there and um, our veterans came back, uh, you know, fired up and ready to play and, and, you know, happy with a chance at playoffs and a chance to play for the cup. And just to be a part of that experience, obviously, it was a ton of fun. And, and down the road, you'll be able to say you were uh, in the bubble in Edmonton during playoffs. and. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting, but it was fun. Did it impress you how fast? I mean, you said that, that guys were, were motivated, came in, you know, summer camp starts, and it was right back at it. But, it, like, I would think a lot of guys, just from a mentality standpoint, would have been like, this is my summer vacation. Like, I don't want to be here at Tria Rink preparing to go to Edmonton. You know, it was goofy early on because we, no one knew, uh, you know, like how long we were going to be off for. So you, you kind of stuck with it. You tried getting nice if you could. Um, and then I think there was times where we'd have meetings, you know, with the, with our league, with our union, and it seemed like, well, this isn't going to happen. And then a week later, it sounds like it is going to happen. So there's a lot of back and forth throughout that downtime. And, you know, guys would go hard and then be like, well, I, you know, I just don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, when we finally got word that we were going to go, it was uh, pretty exciting. And guys started heading back here, and we were getting working before, you know, the actual training camp started with our team. And um, it, was, uh, it was a good training camp for us, and NHL did a good job. Are you curious to see what Bill does this off season? I mean, especially at the at the goalie position. Yeah, anywhere. I mean, obviously, if you don't win the cup, any any team that you know you don't win the cup, there's got to be changes made, and there's going to be changes made here, and then that's been said and that's known. And uh, I think uh, you know, guys look forward to that because you know you want the team to get better. If you're you're on that team, you want to go deeper every year, and um, changes got to be made when you don't win. And I think they're going to you know be done here. I mean, so many questions, right? I mean, does Kakinen become a full-time guy here? Is Devin bought out? Do they bring in a free agent? You know, like, there's just there's so many question marks. Right, no one knows, and that's uh, there's a lot of goalies out there this summer, and uh, a lot of good goalies. So, wait and see, and be ready whenever whenever the season starts. Did you see that Jake Allen got traded yesterday? Yeah, yeah, good for him. He's a good guy. I played with him uh, many years ago now in Peoria, actually. But uh, I think he's uh, obviously excited to get the. Uh, chance to you know go back to Canada he played his junior hockey up there and um, I know you know enjoys the stuff off ice hunting and fishing and stuff like that and I think Harry's a big uh, outdoorsman too so they'll we'll get along really well how do you think this thing plays out up in Edmonton like do you think Vegas ends up winning does Colorado Dallas I mean who's who's your favorite it's hard to say you know it's uh, you look you thought Dallas was gonna you know take series easy and then uh, you know they, game five doesn't go the right way and the momentum changes and yeah, the West is up in the, you know up in the air. I haven't watched East as much, but uh, that West is going to be tough, man. We got a good Game Seven coming up, and obviously a good Game Six tonight, so it'll be uh, it'll be exciting. How much of a mental grind do you think it is, and, and was it for you up in that you know quote unquote bubble where you're pretty trapped, right? Like, did you have any like ability just to even like go down the street for a walk? I'm not a big walker. I. Uh, to be honest, it, it was it was honestly like a summer camp for kids. Like you go and you play hockey, and that's all you were focused on was playing hockey, which which made it easy to eat and you go play hockey. And uh, that that was that was the fun part of it, you know. And you were focused on one thing, and it was playing hockey. And um, you know, sometimes during playoffs and stuff, it's almost easier to play on the road. You're you know you got uh, less to worry about, uh, you know. And um, you're just going to the rink and playing, honestly. And, and that's what it was. And I think guys really enjoyed it. And obviously, we wish we were still there. I suppose too. I mean, going back to the same bed every night, even if it is a hotel, yeah. like you know, minimizing the the travel, right? I mean, just walk right back to the hotel and boom, you know. Right, it never happens. It was kind of nice to get to a hotel room and unpack. Usually, you're there for a night and packing her back up. So it was, uh, you had a room you could kind of call home, and um, you know, you spent a lot of time in it, obviously. But it's, uh, it was, uh, it was fun. It was hockey was all you were worried about, and winning games, and it was a good time. 
how happy are you? I'll leave you after this. How happy are you for Dean that, that the interim tag was, was removed? Yeah, it was great for him. He's, you know, I played against him when he's coaching the American League, and um, he's always had good teams. He's a great communicator, um, wants to play fast, wants to play a good, you know, team brand of hockey, and, uh, you know, he earned it. He's worked hard, and it's uh, good to see that he got the interim tag removed. That was my recent conversation with wild goalie Alex Daylock. Obviously, at the time, Colorado was still alive, but they get eliminated. At this point, as I record this, Dallas up 2-1 on Vegas in the Western Conference Finals. It might be tough for either of those teams to beat Tampa. It looks like Tampa will get by my guy Anders Lee, my neighbor in Golden Valley. Anders Lee and the New York Islanders. Tampa just looks like the heavy favorite to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. It will be interesting to see what Bill Guerin does. There are going to be changes. Alex hit the nail on the head. I mean, Miko Koivu, no way he's back. But what other changes will take place? Will they buy out Devin Dubnik? I guess I would not be shocked if that takes place. What sort of big transaction could Bill Guerin make? He is going to try, much like Gerson Rosas likes to go big star hunting. Bill Guerin is in on all these guys. Any big name that you see moved, I can promise you that Bill Guerin at least checked in on what the price was. All right, we are done. Scoop podcast episode 313 is in the books for this weekend, this September 11th weekend. Never forget 9-11. Stay safe, everyone. Stay sane.